Usually that doesn't happen until after I start preaching. We are glad that you're here this morning. Turn, if you would, to Titus, the book of Titus. We're in chapter 2. Actually, we'll be finishing up chapter 2 today. We've been talking about this letter that the Apostle Paul has written to Pastor Titus. And the Apostle Paul sent Titus to Crete to, to I almost sound like I said Crete, to Crete, the island, in order to, to appoint elders, or that is, pastors, uh, in every town. And the Apostle Paul begins by, by helping him understand who these elders are. What are their qualifications? What is it that elders are expected to do? And we talked about that. We also talked about that there were some, some things that were happening in Crete that specifically Titus needed to address, and that is that there was some false teaching. And so that's why when, when the Apostle Paul told Titus, the, these guys, um, it's always elders in Scripture, the elders are called to shepherd or to pastor the flock of God. They are also called to oversee. But the title um, for this guy in Scripture is always elders. We just don't use that. And, and when I first started, um, that made sense to me because I thought I was young. Um, now I'm not as young as I used to be, so I, I can kind of see. But it confuses us, but, but just know that whenever we see elders in Scripture, it's talking about pastors. We call them pastors. Elders are called to pastor, they're called to oversee. And, and because of that, because of the authority that's given to them in Scripture, there is a, a high expectation, there are high qualifications for this guy. I happen to believe that there were, it, it seems to me from Scripture, that, that there were multiple elders there. Um, and elders, who, who, who holds an elder accountable, the other elders would. Um, in our context, uh, we, we typically have a single pastor guy, or in, in Southern Baptist life, we might have a, a bigger staff where you have a, a kind of a, a lead pastor or senior pastor, and then you have others underneath. Um, but, but I can understand the hesitancy when you're looking at one guy saying, that guy has that kind of authority? Scripturally, it's true. Now, this isn't about that, I'm just... Just catching you up. And then the Apostle Paul talks about living God in godliness. What does godly living look like? Titus, uh, we, we subtitled, or I did, uh, this, this book, Christianity from the Inside Out, which is always the way it's supposed to work. The change happens inside, then we see it outside. And so the Apostle Paul is, is writing, and, and, and not only, so he, he, he reaffirms to Titus why he sent him there. He tells him to watch out for false teaching. He, he actually admonishes him to, to do what he called him there to do, and that is to call these guys with these qualifications to be the elders, the pastors in each town. And then he talks about, Titus, this, this is what godly living looks like. This is what godliness looks like. And we talked about that last time, and, and I don't know about you, but, but man, when, when you read that, I mean, he addressed uh, different Segments of the population, the men, the women, the children. The, actually, he did the older men, the younger men, um, the young women, um, the other women, <laughs> slaves. Uh, and, and we talked about slaves for us would really have to do with those in authority over us, the, the work context normally. And, and at the end of the message last week, I know that the feeling kind of was, man, I, 
that's hard to do. How, how do we do that? How, how, that's what godliness looks like. I, I'm not sure I can do that. Well, today we're, we're, we're going to tack on to that. And what we're talking about today is essentially the power that we have for godly living. But I entitled it, Our Blessed Hope, as we read. Read with me, if you would, Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own passion who are zealous for good works. And then the Apostle Paul gives Titus this admonishment again. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority that no one disregard you. I want to talk about some things quickly as, as, we, as we go along this morning. We won't spend a whole lot of time on each, but, but just kind of walk through this passage together with you. The, the first thing that, that the Apostle Paul brings out, he says, For the grace of God has appeared. God's grace. I don't think we talk enough about God's grace. Um, I, I know that, that we all know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it is by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, so that no one can boast. It's not, not the result of works, but it's a gift of God. And, and we know that we're saved by grace, but, but here's, here's something when we talk about salvation, when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about being saved, we tend to think of that as in the beginning. For me, that was July 14th, 1982. You may know your exact date. It was pretty drastic for me. Some of you, I, I know, have have more of Peter's kind of experience, you know, just somewhere along the line, he just said, I, I believe. I, he might not have been able to point to when he began to believe, but he believed. You know, he made that declaration to Jesus. But if we limit salvation to that point, if we limit the gospel to that point, listen, we've missed a lot. You are saved. It says the grace of God has appeared. God's grace, first of all, does save us. When we use that term, we think of justification normally. That's, that's the beginning. We have been justified in, in, in really a simplistic way, but a good way to, to describe what that word justified means. It's just as if I'd never sinned. All of the wrath for God was poured out upon Christ for our sin. He, Jesus, having taken our sin on the cross... God punished him for our sin. There's no more wrath of God for those who are in Christ. That's Romans 8.1. There is therefore now, why? Because Jesus took it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But that's just the beginning, guys. That's justification. We are saved by grace. We know that. But grace not only saves, grace also Trains is the word that's used here. I, I, I love it. I, it's, it's a little too tongue twisty for me, the Greek word. But it's very similar to Padawan, <laughs> where we would get the Padawan learner. And that's the idea with this word in Greek, is that's how you would train or you instruct a very young person. He trains us. He instructs us. And if you look at what Paul says, he instructs us to renounce 
to get rid of, to put aside, to turn away from. Have you ever struggled with a sin? Yeah, not just me, I bet, yeah. And, and we, we're like, God, why can't I just be done with that? I mean, I, I've confessed it. I, I've repented as best I know how. Why can't I just be done with that? And it says here that grace, and we know that God's grace in this form is called sanctification, comes through His Holy Spirit, the Helper, the one that He sent. That is God with us now. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way. Jesus was God with us, Emmanuel, in the flesh. When He left, He sent the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God with us now. And He empowers us from the inside. And He trains us to renounce. To renounce what? Ungodliness. Those things we struggle with. Worldly passions. Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians, whether we are in 1st, no we're not either, get confused. I am in 1 Corinthians, just on Tuesdays. He calls it the flesh. He trains us, he teaches us, he instructs us. I know you wish and I wish that, man, it was just like one of those things. And God may do that sometimes for you. That was one of those things. I had a potty mouth when, when I was an unbeliever. And that was one of those things God just changed. I, I, you know, I, I didn't do anything. It just happened. That was probably one of the most noticeable changes, um, although there were many. But that one, he just changed. It, it just, just happened. I'm not saying that bragging, except the brag on the Holy Spirit. He just did it. But it usually doesn't happen that way, does it? We, we, we go through this life, and, and for us, we feel like we struggle. How do we... How do we get rid of that? God, I'm tired of that sin overtaking me. I'm, I'm tired of falling back into that. God, I'm tired of thinking that way. Lord, I'm tired of being that way. And, and, and we say, how, how do we get out of that? It's this way. It's God's grace, first of all. It's not your work. It's God's grace. And he trains us to renounce those things, to get rid of those things. And you're saying, well, then why hadn't it happened? He's still training you, young Padawan learner. <laughs> But not only does he train us to renounce those things, he also trains us to live. I love the way he puts it here. And to live, what? Self-controlled. Anybody? Self-controlled? You need that? Some of you live in places where they have traffic. We, we did this weekend. I had to wait for five cars before I could pull out. It was frustrating. Didn't, didn't think I was going to make it. I love here. Self-controlled. He, he trains us to live self-controlled lives. He trains us to live upright lives. That is, lives that when people look, they say that's the way it's supposed to be. That's an upright person. That person is in right standing with God. And then the last thing... Trains us to live godly lives. That is that we begin to reflect more and more and more of God's character and His nature. And, and I remember, because I, I know if you're thinking like I do, I easily slip back into, oh man, I need to work on that. I need to work on that. I need to work. No, you don't. Remember, it's grace. It's grace. He, he by His grace, trains us to live. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And I know if you're like me, I'm like, there's got to be something I can do. We'll get to that. It's one of those things that you do, but you don't really do. 
We'll get there. And then he says something that is, for me, one of the hardest things. He says, waiting for our blessed hope. How many of you like to wait? Anybody? You know how to keep an Aggie in suspense? I'll tell you next week. (laughs) Waiting for our blessed hope. Lord, why do we have to wait? Because of this thing called sanctification, which is still part of our salvation. He's still working in us. He's still training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. He's still training us to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives. He's working on us. And listen, I think we would do ourselves a whole lot of help. We, we would help ourselves out a whole lot if you just do this. Can, can, you, can you adjust your thinking with me? That's not a psychological self-help thing. It's a biblical thing, Romans 12. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's adjust our thinking just a little bit. God didn't put you here, or in our case, God didn't leave you here so that you could be happy. He didn't leave you here so you could be happy. His Holy Spirit isn't working in your life so that you can be happy. God doesn't do the things He does in your life so you can be happy. He does it so you can be holy. Does that make a difference? Wives, God didn't give you your husband to make you happy. Husbands, God didn't give you your wives to make you happy. He gave you your spouse to make you holy. It's called sanctification. If we can just adjust that thinking, it's not my wife's responsibility to make me happy. It's not my responsibility to make her happy. Now, don't take it to the other extreme. I'm going to be a toot so God can make you holy. That's not what I'm talking about. But if we can change that, change that with parenting. What if, what if God gave you the kids he gave you, not so you could be happy? And we know children are a blessing. They're an inheritance. Well, what if he gave you those kids to make you holy? And you're like, wow, they're doing a good job. We are waiting for our blessed hope. What is that blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, do you need some hope this morning? For those who are in Christ, here's your hope. Jesus is coming back. In in the words of the deep theologian, Colonel Potter, this too shall pass. Whatever you're going through here is not forever. This is small. I know it it hurts a lot. But this is small in comparison. That, That we're waiting for our blessed hope. That is the appearing of our great God and Savior. I love the way Paul says it here. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming back. But in the meantime, we're waiting for him. We're not doing nothing. You remember all those parables that he gave about the servants? The master gave them their work to do, and then he returns. And you don't know when he's going to return, so you better keep doing the work. And that's not to make you holy. The work isn't to make you holy. We work out of salvation, not to salvation. And then we, who are waiting for our blessed hope, That is our great God and Savior, 
Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. I think one of the greatest motivations for godly living is remembering the price that Jesus paid. Remembering the sin that we've been saved from. And, and we don't work to get God's favor. Listen, you can't anyways, and you've already got it if you're a believer, so you don't have to do that. You don't have to work for that. But man, when we think about what he's done for us, doesn't that make you out of gratitude <laughs> want to serve him? Paul talks again, Romans chapter 12, about it being a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. Isn't that the way you want your life to be? But he gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawliness, lawlessness, lawliness. I just made that one up. To redeem us from all lawlessness. He redeemed us. Again, we think of, yeah, the initial thing, but remember, that's justification. Jesus didn't only come to redeem us then. He came to redeem us from our sin in every area of our lives. And that second part is happening while we're waiting for him to come. These things that, that happen in your life, these things as we go about, you know, this just our, our daily routines or our weekly routines, sometimes things just come crashing in. Just, just remember, God, God is working in you. He's working to make you holy. He's training you how to renounce the worldly passions and, and the ungodliness. He's, he's training you how to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And everything that's happening... We're not just in a holding pattern. Any of you ever been like that? You're getting ready to land in a plane, there's bad weather there, and you're in a holding pattern. And you end up, you're going to Dallas, you've got to fly like you circle around Lubbock or somewhere silly for a while, you know? Not that Lubbock is silly. Um, that's the best laid out streets I've ever seen in my life. I can find anything if it's ABC123, except for the new part they messed up there. We're not in a holding pattern. He is redeeming us from all unlawlessness. And he did it, this is an odd way for Paul to say it, to purify himself for us. He had set aside himself. God, he was set aside to accomplish the task, that, the purpose that God had, had given him. Us, we, a people for his own possession. I don't know about you, but to... To think that God wants me, that Jesus wants me for his own possession is amazing. Not because of anything I've done. Just, he, just, he wants me for his own possession. We who are zealous for good works. Remember? We don't work to salvation. We work from salvation. And our motivation is what he did for us on the cross. Listen, there is not a single thing you can do to add to God's salvation for you. Do you know that? There's not a single thing you can do to make God love you more. There's not a single thing you can do to make yourself more presentable to God. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus did it all. And so us being zealous for good works is, is just out of gratitude and out of love for Him. And whatever we do... Our, our attitude should be, God, I want this to be a sacrifice that's pleasing for you. I want this to be a sweet aroma for you. 
And, and that's how we should think about works. Whenever we're asking for volunteers, Cynthia has some little cards that she hasn't caught you yet. We've got some kids that are going to Young Lives Ablaze this week. And, and as she asks you to, to, to pray for those, don't think about that. Oh, I got one more thing I got to do. I mean, that kind of prayer shouldn't be hard. Um, whenever we ask for people to staff uh, d- different ministries that we have here, don't think of it as oh, one more thing I got to do. And I know that's easy for us to, to get into, but think about it this way. That's a sacrifice that, that I can make. I can, I can do those good works as a sacrifice for him. So it's a pleasing aroma for him because of what he's done for me. As we wrap up, don't get too excited. Uh, it's not a short wrap and we still have communion. The Lord's Supper. I said I was going to start calling it Lord's Supper. Two things that you need to know. Are you ready? First, it is God who does the work. You've got to know that. You can't change your heart. You can't change your kid's heart. <laughs> you can't change your grandkid's heart. Only God can change hearts. He's the one that does the work. Romans 8, 29, I love this. For those whom he foreknew, God knew you before you were ever even formed. He also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. Listen, God has predestined you to be conformed in the image of his son. That's not a salvation thing as far as the initial. That's a sanctification thing. He's going to do it. He'll do it. And he conforms you into the image of Jesus. Just know that God does the work. The second one is this. He will complete the work. That one is one I have to remember a lot. So I'm thinking, Lord, there's a lot left to do. And I'm not as young as I used to be. So you need to, I know, huh? You need to get with it. No, wait, never mind, Lord, because... It hurts enough at the pace that you're taking. <laughs> Philippians 1.6, Paul says, And I am aware of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Is that comforting for you? It, it is for me. We, we, we say, Jesus is coming. What if I'm not done? What if he's not done? He will be. He will complete it until the day that that our blessed hope appears. That he returns. He's going to finish it. I would say I I promise, but you don't have to have my promise. You have his. He will complete the work that he began. And now we'll get to the do things for those of you doers. Are you ready? The first one is the most fun. Two things you can do. First, you can wait. And I'll tell you the second one next week. No, that's that's not even funny, is it? Let God do the work in you. Just just wait and let him do the work. That, That involves surrender. 
Scary prayers. I love scary prayers. Here's a scary prayer for you. Lord, would you work in my heart and life however you desire to make me more like Jesus? Why is that scary? Because sometimes it's painful. And by the way, whenever you pray something you know God wants to do, you can be sure he's going to answer. I've given up. I'm never going to get a Hummer. (laughs) They don't make them anymore. And there's a cooler car, but I can't remember the name of it, so I don't know how to pray anymore. I'm just kidding. Not that they don't make Hummers. They don't. But That's not my heart's desire. We pray stuff like that. We, We... we pretty well have to say, Lord, if it's your will, God, if it's your will, will you heal my, my leg? Lord, if it's your will, will you do this? If it's your will, we have to pray that sometimes the way that we pray. But when we pray things like this, we can pray it with absolute certainty. This is his will. God, do whatever you want in my heart and life to make me more like Jesus. I, I promise you. You don't need my promise. You've got his. He will answer that prayer. He will. And then the second thing. We not only wake, but wait, but we work. And I know what you're saying. You just said we don't. Yeah, we do work. We work from salvation. But here's the work that you need to do. Be obedient to what you already know to do. Sometimes I feel like we do this to God. Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, you just tell me I'll do. And he does. We say, God, have you got anything else? (laughs) Is is there, I mean, you know, I I want a buffet. Can you put out a buffet for me and and I'll pick the things that I want to do? Here's what you have to know. And, and we're like this too with our kids. Why would I tell you more to do? You haven't done what I've already asked you. Dad, you want me to help you? Yeah, I'd, I'd like for you to go and, and do this. I don't want to do that. You got anything else? Well, you didn't do what I asked you to first. Be obedient to what you already know to do. Now, for some of you, I suspect that there's something that God has put on your heart and you already you know what that is. You know. And you're waiting for him to give you something else. Just do that. Whatever it is, whatever it is he's called you to do, whatever that thing is. And I I don't know, but you know and he knows. Just do it. <laughs> and just watch him work. And some of you are like, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what he's already told me to do. Let me, let me help you out. Are you spending time with him in his word and in prayer? I, I almost want to do this. I heard this from, uh, from another pastor. I almost want to have a checklist. When somebody comes in and says, man, I'm having some trouble. Okay, all right, well, before we get there, are you spending time with God in his word and in prayer? Because if you're not, that's where you start. Are, are you gathering 
with other believers or you're spending time with God or you're spending time with his people in worship and, and then in, in, in Bible study in the smaller groups where you have more accountability in, in life on life kind of stuff. Well, I really don't have time for that. Are, are, you, are you giving of your time and your talents? Are, are you serving somewhere? Because what we want to do is we want to say, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But God, man, I really need help with this right here. My doctor, uh, who's younger than I am, that's like the first time that happened when I came here. It was funny when he turned 40 and he's, his body started changing. <laughs> and I got to say to him, you're not as young as you used to be. He told me one time, he said, Larry, if you'll lose some weight and if you'll exercise, I'll see about getting you off some of this medicine. So I lost some weight. <laughs> and I went back and he said, ah, I see you lost some weight. I said, yeah, you, you said that if I did that, you'd see about getting me off some of the medicine. He said, I think I might have told you if you lost weight and began to exercise. <laughs> have you started exercising? I said, well... In our church, everywhere I go, there's stairs, and I drink a lot of coffee, so I go to the bathroom a lot. (laughs) When you start exercising, come back and talk to me about getting you off that. Today, as we prepare our hearts to to take the Lord's Supper, and for those of you who are a guest, if you've made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ, we invite you to join us this morning. But before we do... Can we just take some time and just spend some time in prayer? I, I, I want to open uh, the our, our front, the altar up here. And 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 for some of you, and, and I know this is the case. Um, God didn't tell me your name. <laughs> um, probably a good thing. I was sure that God told that preacher my name when I was under conviction at 15. But I'm sure that there are some people here that you know what it is God wants you to do, but you've been, you've been resisting. You've been resisting, and I don't know why. You're like me. Sometimes he has to be a little bit more stern than others. But during this time of prayer, if that's you, I, I would ask that you would do something. Uh, you, you don't have to like confess that to everybody, but just come and pray, would you? If there's something, when I said that, that, that be obedient to what God's already called you to do, that you, already, you knew right then, you knew what that was. In a moment when we pray, I just ask that you just come down and pray. Nobody's going to judge you. They don't know what that is. For, for others, um, whenever I talked about waiting, because God's working in your heart. I, I, know, I, I know that you were thinking, I'm tired of waiting. I'm just ready for God to do something. And I don't know what that is that God has been working in your heart about or your life about. I don't know if it's something you want him to take away. I don't know if it's something that you desperately need an answer to. I, I don't know. But, but I know that for some of you, when I said that that, that, that came to mind, I would just ask you to do the same. Just come and pray. And as we prepare to, to, 
to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Maybe there are some others that you're just like, you know, I, I think maybe my problem is that I just haven't turned some stuff over to him. There's a sin I've been struggling with. There's, there's a situation that, that, that I've been struggling with, and, and I just haven't turned that over to him. I'm not trusting him in that area. If that's you, whenever we begin to pray, I just ask you to come. You don't, you don't have to like say that to anybody except God. But come down and make that your response to him. If there's somebody here who's never given your heart to, to Jesus' life, I, you know, I almost hate to say it that way. Let me say it this way. If there's somebody here who's never come to the place where you said, Lord, I believe. I believe that you died for my sin. I believe that you paid the price. And I'm coming to you asking you to save me. If that's you today, I'm just asking you to come down. And if, if that's you, I'll pray with you. We have some other people who will step in and pray. But let's prepare our hearts, can we? As we prepare to celebrate what Jesus did for us on the cross. Let's pray. Lord, you are amazing. The fact that you love us blows us away. Your grace is, is a concept I don't think we'll ever fully understand. The fact that you just choose to love us and that you, you lavish your goodness on us. Jesus died on the cross taking our sin and the punishment for our sin so that we could have a right relationship with you is it's incredible. Father, today I pray that you give us the courage and the boldness to respond as you have prompted our hearts to and, and to make it a public response. Even if it is coming and just kneeling and praying and taking care of business with you. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for Christ on the cross. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.